Our reading this morning is from 1 Kings 6, verse 1, and verses 11 through 14, as well as 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Siv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you're building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Now in 1 Peter, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. And it came to pass in the 480th year, after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, that he began to build the house of the Lord. And the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And the porch before the temple of the house Twenty cubits was the length thereof, according to the breadth of the house, and ten cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. And for the house he made windows of narrow lights. And against the wall of the house he built chambers round about, five cubits high, and they rested on the house with timber of cedar. The nethermost chamber was five cubits broad, and the middle was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For without in the wall of the house he made narrowed rests round about, that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house, and they went up with winding stairs into the middle chamber, and out of the middle into the third. And the house, that is, the temple before it, was forty cubits long. And the oracle in the forepart was twenty cubits in length, and twenty cubits in breadth, and twenty cubits in the height thereof. And within the oracle he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high. And he set the cherubims within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubims, so that the wing of the one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the midst of the house. And he carved all the walls of the house round about with carved figures of cherubims and palm trees and open flowers, within and without. And the whole house he overlaid with gold, until he had finished all the house. And for the entering of the oracle he made doors of olive tree. The lintel and side posts were a fifth part of the wall. So also made he for the door of the temple posts of olive tree, a fourth part of the wall. And the two doors were of fir tree. The two leaves of the one door were folding, 
and the two leaves of the other door were folding. And he carved thereon cherubims and palm trees and open flowers, and covered them with gold fitted upon the carved work. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertained unto the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, before the oracle with the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple, and he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof Jachin, and he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. And upon the top of the pillars was lily work, so was the work of the pillars finished. And he made a molten sea, ten cubits from the one brim to the other. It was round all about, and his height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits did compass it round about. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. And the sea was set above upon them, and all their hinder parts were inward. And it was an hand breadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup, with flowers of lilies. It contained two thousand baths. And he made ten bases of brass. Four cubits was the length of one base, and four cubits the breadth thereof, and three cubits the height of it. And on the borders that were between the ledges were lions, oxen, and cherubims. And every base had four brazen wheels, and the work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Then made he ten lavers of brass. One laver contained forty baths, and upon every one of the ten bases one laver. And he put five bases on the right side of the house, and five on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house eastward over against the south. So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of the Lord. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor at Christ Central Church. I found that virtual tour of Solomon's temple and thought it was good to see it as the word of God was kind of being read so you can kind of get a visual of that temple. Um, we don't do a lot of video stuff around here. I'm not really into all of that. But I thought it, when, I, when I saw it, I was like, they got to see this. Um, um, so kind of gives you an idea what was built and what it looked like. As we continue in our sermon series through the book of Kings, I want to take the time right now to introduce and welcome back Reverend Amari Hill. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he is one of those rare artifacts of the denomination. He is an ordained African-American PCA uh, in the PCA, even though he's working at an EPC church. They're like a cousin denomination, right? We get along. Um, he is in Brooklyn with his wife, Sharice, who's sitting here with us, and their two children, Preston and Mia, and they got one on the way, right? All right, so... Um, Amari was one of our original ruling elders here at Christ Central, um, founding ruling elder, um, when, and he was a student at RTS at the time, did RUF here, and then went up to Redeemer to work with somebody named Tim Keller, and um, then you went off to do this church planting work in Brooklyn, 
with the EPC. So glad to have you back today, man. They just came to hang out with us because they are friends. And um, we having a good time already. I hope my sermon's okay today because we had a good time um, yesterday. Appreciate it. Um, and I also want to take time, a little personal privilege, to say happy birthday, Clark, my son. He's 13 today, and um, he is, I, I've said this before, he's my armor bearer, right? Like old school. I come in, Dad, do you need some coffee? Dad, do you need this? Running back and forth to the office, and I was in there working on my sermon some more. He's like, Dad, time to go. Let's go. Like he's, he, he, he's good, so he does that work. Thank you so much, Clark, for just being my son, though, most importantly. I love you. Thank you, Clark, um, for being born. Okay. Um, not for that for now. Uh, we'll, we'll party later. Okay, so last week we saw Solomon get all the permits, supplies, and workforce ready to build the temple. And this week we hear about and explore the actual building, as you saw, and artistry and beauty of the temple. And at first glance, I've done it with the same chapter when I was re read through the Bible. Um, this, this is one of those chapters that you skim over, that you skip in the Bible, because it comes off as just a sterile, straight, boring chapter of arbitrary details and measurements. And I know many of you can't stand just looking and listening to details. Some of y'all don't like to go to exhibits, right? Or, or, or to the museum, right? Did I say that right? Anybody's museum. Boring, right? And can't get half the stuff. You ever been to that modern museum downtown, the mint thing? I went once to make myself cultured. I'm cultured now. Can we go to Carowinds and the car show again, please? Like, I did grow up in a pretty artsy house, though, so did all that. But, um, but I'm asking for many of you to bear with me and let me be your guide. Trust me today to take you into what some of the details of this passage and some of what we saw on the video, right, uh, mean for this life, your life, your world today. God has put this chapter in the Bible not to be skipped or skimmed, but excavated and appreciated anew so that you and I can counter and overcome in an often dark and ugly world. Overcome and counter in the infamous words of rapper Keith Murray with the most beautifulest thing, not only in this world, but for this world. This chapter calls us to see and experience the most beautiful thing, I can't say it, in this world. For us to do that, there are a couple things I want us to see. First, we must make our world beautiful for God. We must be a part of making that world beautiful for God. And secondly, we must be made beautiful by God. Make our world beautiful. Be made beautiful. And for the record, when I say beautiful, I mean holy, fully reflecting and bearing the, the, the God of the Bible's intended and desired goodness and wonderness, wonderfulness and value and righteousness. With that in mind, God calls us to make our world beautiful for him for two reasons, sub-point-wise, I want us to see here. Because a holy God dwells in broken pieces, I mean, sorry, places, and because a holy God dwells among broken people people. 
Look at verse 1 with me together. It says, In the 418th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, in the month of Zev, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Um, so I want you to kind of go Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider with me just for a minute. Kind of blow the dust off that thing. And look at what the dates say, because if you blow the dust off, they tell a story. It's easy to overlook the dates in the opening verse is just a time signature. But it is more than that. 480 is the time between when God freed Israel from Egyptian slavery, and it automatically up to now, and it only automatically makes us think about another date mentioned that way in Scripture, 430 years, the time it took God to deliver them from Egyptian slavery. Why didn't they just say the temple was built in 966 B.C. or something like that? Because God wanted to make a point about the history, about himself. In my culture as an African-American, if some race issue frustrates us, Sometimes all you have to say is 400 years, right? We go around, what? 400 years, right? And, and, and it calls up a history, a feeling of 400 years of slavery, right? A historical reality that is shaped and characterizes the lives of those descendants in a country where it happened. It shapes and it, and it characterizes your life now. You see, this date pointed not only to Israeli history to say, look how far we have come, but look how and where God has lived and brought his glory and beauty thus far. This tells us that historically, God dwelled most of Israeli history in Israeli history with homelandless, oppressed people in a ghetto in Egypt who after they were freed in slavery became lost, homeless, wanderers in the wilderness with a God who didn't mind traveling with them in a homeless shelter that they call the tent of meeting. In other words, God historically dwelt. He incarnated. He showed up in a tangible, real way and continues to do so in broken places and among broken people. Then look at why this house means anything to God as they build it. And we'll come back to it and explore it some more. But real quick, look at what he says in verse 13. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. The building of the house, y'all, the temple on earth in the Israeli neighborhood of Jerusalem says, we build this here like this because we must and do recognize that you, God, according to the history of your actions and your words, you want to be here. You want to be brought here. You want to be recognized as God being here in this broken place called Israel among a broken people. You want to be, be and dwell right here with these historically disenfranchised and homeless without you people. You want your glory and your truth and your mercy and your very best seen and known and built and brought. Building this house says we must make God known and seen as beautiful all up in the middle of and for broken places and broken people. This chapter about building God a earthly temple 
is a call, y'all, to continue the beautifying history of God in our world today, to be used by God to go into all the world and its neighborhoods and politics and financial systems and social structures, right, and undisturbed status quo into whatever and wherever is broken and make it beautiful for a God who desires to dwell in glory right there. To go and bring light. And as Solomon did, make what is there reflect and be able to shine and live in the light of God's glory. But not with simple brick and mortar, but with what I would describe as spiritual and material mercy and justice and love and peace. I like how the work of Solomon's temple is described. It talks about how they built a foundation for the building on an empty and barren spot. And then how they moved big foundational pieces here and there, working behind the scenes on those big pieces, right, to get things crafted. And then it talks about the intricate and invasive work of carving, and then the beautifying work of covering what is bare, and then supporting what needs to be lifted, and then furnishing what needs to be sustained, and provide resources for its everyday function, and then doing what it takes to make it stand out as important and dignified and valued. Do you see where this is going for us? This means that like the temple construction, God has called us, and we must go where it is barren and work where the foundations and paradigms need to be shifted to do the heavy work of changing the big blocks and big picture so that the, that his mercy and grace and love and dignity can come into people's lives. God has called some of us to do the painful work of, of, of intricately carving and digging into relationships and into the status quo and causing movements and disruption to bring out, into, and, and bring out its beauty. Maybe we are called to display and bring out the wonder and beauty of a people group that has been hidden, to carve a place out at the table for the voice of the forgotten and hidden, to bring it out. Maybe God has called some of us to cover what is bare. Like Solomon covered the wood and articles in the temple in gold. We are called, y'all, to cover a world of people and places who stand bare in the shame of sin and exposure to judgment and condemnation. We are called to cover people who are left to their sin with mercy and love and service and compassion in the ministry of the gospel, the very golden offerings of God's beauty. We should not continue to let our world run and struggle and fear and shame, but offer them through the gospel value and worth that they can't get and give for themselves. We are called to declare and offer to the world refuge and embrace and comfort and freedom from conduct condemnation and neglect, and being forgotten or even built on top of. Maybe God is calling some of you to capture their stories 
to capture the lives of people, just like Solomon captured the pictures of things and, 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 and carved them on a building, right? To hear them, their culture, their food, their music, to participate in life together in God, light shining ways. Maybe you're an amplifier and testimony of, of others' God-given dignity to them and the world, much like Solomon again did in showing animals and cherubims and plants on the doors and walls. We're called to do that for people. In parts of our city and world that is living in ignored desperation. And then on top of that, God has called us to bring the beauty of furnishings, right? To give, to put in place, to, be, to, place, to put in place cultural and community artifacts and provisions and programs and order where things can happen and work and function and be sustained. Where people can live and thrive and interact under God's mercy and love and grace. We must make this world and our lives beautiful and lead them in what I would describe as a material gospel witness that God is here, that God dwells here, even there, even where it's broken, even where it looks like the world is forgotten. And the beauty of his mercy and love and justice is near us and with us and can possibly come in us. How we've missed it as a church. That we have made the gospel a personal holiness only. We'll get to the importance of that in a minute. But temple building is about a God who has come to dwell, to visit, to make beautiful with his mercy, his justice, his love, his shalom, his peace, and his holiness. And like the history lesson in the building of the temple teaches us, it will be intricate, y'all. I don't deny it's going to be complicated. And it will take a long time. And you got to sit with people. And you got to wait. It takes years, right? Broken people, broken places. Oh, man, think about the politics throughout this whole year. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be complicated. There's always landmines in anything we do. Let's make a difference in this neighborhood. But if you do, it'll be gentrified. Well, if you gentrify the land, it's going to be hard. They don't listen. They don't want help. Blah, blah, blah. Back and forth. Going here. Going there. It's going to take time, just like the temple did. Just like a history of 430 years of slavery, 480 years of wandering, it's going to take time. We're going to get lost on the way. We could get dirty. It's going to be scary, and it could be a mess for a long time. But let me tell you, as I look at it, y'all, I am excited about what God is going to do through you, this church in the world. Through you artists, through you bankers, through you fathers and mothers, all you millennials without cable, right? You empty nesters and retired. Through your food and through you kind of food and cooking people, right? You dancers, you work, you know, your teachers, you writers, you bloggers, your video and tech people that I don't understand how you even got that video up here, and, and athletes and business people and all types of experts and aficionados for those committed to live in the suburbs or the city, right? The, the suburbs is broken too. Don't make me think, don't get that image in your mind of just this broken down neighborhood with people with different skin color than you. 
Whether again in the suburbs or the city, near the country club or just in the country or near the club, right? If it or they are without his mercy and love and peace, that's why I like a diverse church. God ain't calling everybody to move to the hood. In his eyes, it's all the hood. Some just got a little cleaner and bigger, and it's more expensive. How much to join this hood? Well, if you're going to golf this many times a year, we're going to need to see 100000 You know, right? It's just more expensive to get into a broken hood of broken people walk, driving around on golf carts, right? That's an expensive way to be broken. You ain't broke, but you're broken. If it is without his mercy and love and peace, I don't care what it looks like. It is ugly for them and to him. And praise God. I look at this diverse congregation. You are there. I am excited. Not just as I look at you, you are beautiful, but because I know you serve a God and we're serving God that calls us to make this world But in order for us to make this world beautiful for God, we must be made beautiful by God. This means God must be at work in us, and the grace of God must be happening in us. Look at verse 11 through 13 with me again. So uh, Solomon's building, and it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house. That It, it says this, sorry, God says, Concerning this house you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. And then we got our Peter passage about us being living stones. God's building into his holy house. I kind of hate that we didn't read this whole thing. I, I thought it'd be kind of hard to get through it. That's why I did the video. But I want you to know how chapter, verse 11 just comes, right? So the rest of the chapter for, for, for verses 1 through 10, it's like Solomon did this, and Solomon was doing this, and he was working on this, and he was doing this. And then it says God comes to the job site, right? God shows up at the job site. He's, he doesn't say, man, pretty good job going on around here. He's not in, He goes, wait, hold on. Before you get too whole, too ahead of yourself, son, it's like screeching brakes right? Do you know what this is really about? Before you get it twisted, right? Remember, this house is not why I am your God. This house alone, though any non-God, God would have been taken by it. I am the God, and a house ain't nothing to me and for me. I don't need a place to make the magic happen. This is about the relationship. This is a marriage. This is about you not giving me the world. I already got that. But about you loving, respecting, obeying me for better and for worse, inside or outside the house, with or without the house, because if you don't, the house won't have me inside, and my people will not get me at all. I think it's pretty clear and sobering, and it keeps us in check, doesn't it? All that we do in bringing glory and beauty for and from God in the world, all the things you do on your job, all the people you tell about Jesus, all the reasons you work with those kids that don't act right all the time, right? All that stuff. 
must be done out of an authentic and sincere relationship with God. Our saving relationship with God, driven by and towards our relationship with the Lord, that God has made a covenant with us, and, and we must, and we have to do everything with him being our Lord in mind and not for the thing itself. Okay, let me wake you all up. I, I, okay, the, the tax code, let's go ahead and let them have that. We like having tax breaks as a church. But the church is not a nonprofit organization, social club organization that just goes around doing good. If you came here to join up to do something good for the sake of doing something good, there are a lot more places to go. They got the United Way out there. They doing some good things, right? I mean, there's all kind of nonprofit organizations. Get on the board, make a difference. And if you're a believer, you need to do that anyway. We cannot be beautiful for this world without being made beautiful by our God. The real power of material gospel witness of going out in the world to be and make a difference is because and only if the God of the Bible is in it and in us. And how does God get in, in the things we do when he's at work and building in us and the people we reach? That the same meticulous carving and huge paradigm moves and, and shame and condemnation covering is happening in our lives. That, that is our stories, that God is at work making people, those who are the temple of that God, that he is working in and through you and making you, his temple, beautiful. You know what God wanted Solomon to know he was committed to? That the temple, the outer work, was though, though, though real, pointed to the beautifying work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and in Solomon's life. It might have sounded like a harsh interruption to Solomon's work. Man, when I would get in trouble, mm, mm, mm. I never forget I got in trouble at somebody's house. I don't know if you grew up with the kind of mom I had or had the kind of mom I had, but if you went and visited somebody's house and you acted up, and I did that day. I don't know if I was talking, smart mouth, hung out at the adult table, said something she told me not to say, something. Probably had something to do with my mouth. Anyway. But, you know, she'd pull me to the side. You wait till we get home. All right, how you doing? And she would just go back to her conversation. She'd just be like, when you get home, you're done. And you know you're done when she would say something like, Howard. She'd be smiling at everybody else. Um, your um, behind is the grass, and I'm the lawnmower. <laughs> hey, Miss So-and-so, how you doing? You be going home? Hey, Mom, isn't it a nice night tonight? I be trying so hard to make it right. Going home, cleaning the kitchen, doing everything, and Mom like, I didn't forget. She'll even say, I know you're trying to be nice, but nice ain't good enough, right? It might, uh, it might sound kind of harsh to, to interrupt Solomon's work and even some of what you are fighting for and seeking to make golden and beautiful and holy and right for God. But God was basically saying to Solomon, I know you're working hard and committed and driven, some of you in your relationships and marriages and your kids and your friendships, you're working so hard. But Solomon, you do know this is about my love for you, right? Yeah. 
You do know this whole thing, this whole mission thing is about my love for people like you and my commitment to work in you and make you beautiful. Don't forget that or you will lose and miss and make a mess out of everything. You will lose money. It'll be a money pit. You'll pour gold on the walls and I won't be there. The works of your life will be vacant of what makes them most important. <laughs> I know some of you here, you can't see God's work. So you forget what it's about. Some of you are missing God's work in your life right now, like the stones that were hammered away from the construction site in the building of the temple in silence and then brought in. God is often silently working out and that's what is pleasing to him. You just can't see it and it's easy to forget. Sometimes we are going through pain because God is meticulously through ups and downs and stop and goes in our lives, twisting and shaping and carving and tattooing, if you will, into us the knowledge and never forget faithfulness of himself. Sometimes in your life it is taken like it did to Israel. It's like 430 years of slavery and then 40, 480 years of what feels like nothing, nothingness and sometimes it just takes long and sometimes God just lets and makes us lie down and rest under his mercy and comfort forcing you in your shame sometimes. Forcing you. I hate to be forced to do this. To be covered in the beauty and enveloped and blanketed by the golden comfort and consolation of the Holy Spirit. People coming around and loving you and caring for you because you broke down. It's easy to jump the gun and make the beauty making about how we can make a place for God to finally come and love us and change us. To make a big, big splash, right? Big enough for him to finally want us. Some of you are faking yourselves out into thinking you are good enough and done enough to make us God, make God enough, right? It is God's work in you that makes God's work through you make sense. It is God's mercy and love and justice and peace in you that makes mercy and love and, ju and justice resourceful and material through you in a way that will please God. And as he does his work, you look at this temple building, I want you to, to see people's lives, your life and others. As he does his work through worldly circumstances, y'all, and suffering, and like the temple, through the very diverse work of the church and its people, through the word and sacraments and discipleship and cross relationships, right, that he's carving and covering and shaping you. Year after year, and God is asking us, hold up a minute. Before you seek beauty apart and from my holiness, do you know that I am at work in your life? Do you accept and see that I am God and I dwell and I want to be with you by grace? And not by your works? I want to be with you. I want to dwell in you and with you, people. And this is the message we give the world. Not because you're good enough or golden enough. 
but so that I could make you gold. I dwell, God says, in my promises and not in your performance. Here, there's God's name of Solomon and now to us. I dwell with you and in you and make you beautiful because to me, you are the most beautiful thing. Did you hear that? You and me, in our ugliness, in our apathy and regularness and rough edges are already the most beautifulest thing to God before and besides anything you could have done beautiful for him. Do you know why and how that's true? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 11 through 13 again. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. And I will dwell, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. You know, when I read these things, I always miss it the first time around. Did you notice this was addressed, not addressed to anyone else but Solomon? If you obey, then what? I won't leave who? The people. It's a lot of pressure. If you king do right, then I will dwell and make this thing beautiful, most beautiful. But if you don't, things will be ugly, lonely, and empty, and worthless for my people. <laughs> well, let me ruin the plot for you. Read the rest of Kings. Solomon, with all his concubines and all his wives, and all his messed up treaties, couldn't do it. No leader could do it or could do right enough for the sake of people like us to be loved by God. But the Bible teaches this. God still loved us so much, so wanted you to experience his beauty and be your father. He wanted to dwell with us so badly that he sent someone better and more beautiful in obedience and holiness and mercy and justice who could change us and make God happy. And it wasn't Solomon and it wasn't David. And it wasn't Gandhi. And it wasn't even Martin Luther King Jr. But the Lord and King Jesus Christ. When he came and lived on earth, he, and we can just follow along with what these verses said, verses 11 to 14, he walked in God's statues and he obeyed his rules and he kept all his commandments. And for that reason, we who don't and we who couldn't, we who are broken people in broken places, ugly by sin, can have God dwell in us and make us beautiful and holy and in turn participate and play a part in making this world beautiful for him in righteousness that we would be a people whom God, regardless of our ugliness and this world's ugliness, would never leave or forsake us. But to him in Jesus, you and I and our relationship could be the most beautiful thing in this world to him. 
to God. You and Jesus, because of Jesus, are beautiful. I don't care how half done you feel. I don't care how many ugly things you have done or been done to you. I don't care how ugly the world has made you feel and how many scars you bear. I don't care what you might have to go through or going through right now or how many years it has been since it looks like Jesus has been involved. If Jesus is your king, your Lord, you stand and can stand in him and your relationship with him is the most beautiful thing in this world to him because to God if you're wrapped and covered in the costly righteousness and goodness of Jesus golden blood for your sin you shine before God like the sun s-o-n sun and for that and only for that go make beautiful this world of people and places as he has called you beautiful because of his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. One of the commentaries that I study from, written by the pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, Philip Riken, look up that commentary, good stuff, has this, has this story about Mother Teresa. If there's anyone who could Look at, and he writes this. If there's anyone who could look at their obedience and lived out faith and going and bringing mercy and justice and love to broken places, it was Mother Teresa. But as Philip Riken writes and quotes from her, this is from her letters that she didn't want released, but they were released. After her death, the world was shocked to discover that Mother Teresa, the famous mercy worker and now saint of Calcutta, often doubted that God was with her. And here's a quote again from her letter that she wrote her friend. Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. Philip Riken goes on to say, Mother Teresa's letters reveal that for almost the last 50 years of her life, with only a brief interrup interruption, she felt no presence of God whatsoever. She writes this, I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Dr. Riken continues by saying, Mother, St. Teresa claimed to have nothing, no faith, not even as she wrote herself, no reality of the presence of God. I like how Pastor Riken finishes this. He says, there are times when every believer is tempted to doubt the presence of God. And I would add the work of God. What should we do when these doubts start to arise and threaten to overwhelm us? The one thing we should not do is try to work harder for God, thinking that, we, that if we did a little more for him, then we would have the blessing of his presence. And I add again, beauty in our lives. If having the living presence of God depended on our own ability to keep all the if commandments of the law, then God would have left us long ago. Surely, he says, if anyone could find assurance by her own obedience, it would have been Mother Teresa. But as she discovered, knowing the presence of God does not depend on performing even the holiest works of sacrificial obedience. 
There is no assurance to be found in our own faithfulness. The only assurance lies in the obedience of Jesus Christ as the perfect king. Perfect king for you and me. And we are trying to be Mother Teresa in our own lives. Man, some of your lives and marriages and families and home life and mental life and, and health life looks like Calcutta. And you're doing everything you can, hanging out with friends, going to discussion, trying to do everything in your own works. You will never be beautiful that way. I don't care how you really look. When you look in that mirror, when you look into your soul, you won't see what's beautiful. And when you look out of the world, you won't have hope. You will doubt that God could do those things. And worst of all, you'll doubt that God sees you as beautiful by grace. And when you do that, all is lost. Lord, you're beautiful. Should be our praise every morning. And you make us beautiful by Christ. Your love for us and your work for us through the costly spilling of the blood of Jesus Christ is the most beautiful thing in this world. And it's just like that. Just like that. That's where the rest of the rap goes for those who don't know. I've been waiting to say that. Every time I say that line, I can't help but think what Keith Murray's going to say. But it's a, it's a gospel thing, okay? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. You got a lot of people out here, God, me included, who doubt your work, who don't feel your presence. who don't know your love. And Lord, maybe you're silent right now. And Lord, help us to know that silence does not mean you're not at work. Help us, Lord, because many of your people here are suffering. Pain. Things being carved. Tattoos without any anesthesia, just digging. Lord, for those in Christ, assure them that the Holy Spirit is at work. Lord, for those of us who have embraced and been embraced by your beauty, motivate us once again by that grace to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations in material and in incarnational witness. Let us go where it's barren and broken and dark and let us shine with the sun's grace in all we do. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.